If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. We are continuing on in our series on God's character as he reveals it to the Israelites and to Moses while they are journeying through the wilderness. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 to 23. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I bet most of you have. Um, I've had this experience many times with my wife where I'm traveling or we are apart for whatever reason, and we use this incredible technology called FaceTime to chat, to catch up, to see each other while we're away. And many of us do that. We use Google Meets or, you know, Zoom or FaceTime to check in on family and friends that maybe live miles from us or maybe while we're traveling, certainly for those that might be stationed overseas far away. And we love that technology because it enables us to see the person that we love and spend time chatting with them. But it's really funny because at the end of those conversations, it never fails that before Lori and I hang up on FaceTime, what do we say? Man, I can't wait to see you again. Now, why would we say that? I can't wait to see you again. I just saw her face. I just heard her voice. We just got to have a conversation and catch up on what has been going on in our lives. And yet, we still can't wait to see each other. What's going on there? Well, we all know intrinsically, and we all know empirically from this last couple of years, that FaceTiming, Zooming, connecting with someone through a medium, even if you can see them and hear them, is not the same as being with someone face-to-face, flesh and blood. You miss the touch, right? You miss the smell. There are things that you miss from our friends and family members, parents, children, spouses, when we are not together face-to-face. Well, Moses is at a point of his life and ministry where he is FaceTiming with God, if we can put it that way. Where he gets to see God, and yet he doesn't get to see God face to face. He gets to commune with God and see the backside of God and watch the glory and goodness of God pass by, and yet Moses is still left with this hope or this promise that one day he might actually see the face of God and live. And so that is the passage that we turn to this morning. So let's read together Exodus chapter 33. We'll read verses 17 through 23. Hear God's word. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he, the Lord, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, 
there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So this text, a familiar text, I'm sure, to many of us, it comes in the context of chapters 32 of Exodus to 34. And so I just encourage you, if you like to go home and kind of read up on sermons, where we are in a series, to take Exodus 32 through 34 as a whole complete story and read through it would be really helpful. Uh, Pastor Josh touched on a part of Exodus 33 last week, and Manny will touch on a part of Exodus 34 next week, but this whole story runs together. And so as Moses picks up the conversation with the Lord in verse 17, we're just following right up from where Pastor Josh left off last week. And what has been happening, just to get the context, because we know that context is key, Moses has been on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's been on Mount Sinai to receive the law, to receive the Ten Commandments and all of the law that Moses would come and bring to the people of Israel. And at about day 30, the people are starting to get a little worried. And certainly by days 35, 36, 37, they're like, where in the world did Moses go And they're sort of in a panic because Moses is their man. Moses is their intercessor. Moses is their mediator, their go-between, between the people and the Lord. And so in their panic, they come up with a clever idea of creating out of their gold jewelry, a golden calf to bow down and worship. And this calf was to represent the Lord who had delivered them out of Israel. I think that's funny. Why? Because Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, which say you shall not make for yourselves any graven image to represent me while they are in fact making a graven image of a calf and bowing down and worshiping it. And so Moses comes down the mountain. He's furious. The Lord has a righteous anger and he destroys 3,000 men with the sword uh, pulled out by the Levites in punishment for their idolatry. And so then as further punishment, not only does God strike down 3,000 people with the sword, but he says what? You can keep going to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm done. I'm washing my hands of you idolatrous Israelites. And that's where we picked up last week. Moses interceded on behalf of the people, pleaded with God, don't just go with me, Lord, but go with your people. Make good on your promise. Turn from your anger. Be merciful to us, please. And continue to allow your presence to go with us into the promised land. And that's where we pick up our text here. So when it says in verse 17, the Lord said, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. What is that? That's, I will go with you. I will go with you, Moses. I will go with my people, 
and I will be with you as you move into the promised land. I will accompany you on your journey. And then Moses makes this request, God, please show me your glory. Why is Moses asking God to see his glory? He wants God to confirm what he has said. He wants God to put it in writing. God, how will I know that what you say is true? How will I know that your promise will be fulfilled? Would you please show me your glory so that you could confirm the promise that you've made with me and to the people that you will continue to be with us even after we've turned away from you and worshipped a golden calf? So what I want to do this morning with the remainder of our time is look at these four key statements that the Lord proclaims to Moses in verses 18 and 19. That's going to be the bulk of our time together this morning. So the first one is this. God says to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now he is, Moses has asked for his glory to pass by. And at the end of the text, God's glory passes Moses. So why do we have glory, book-ending goodness here? Let's make some sense of God's goodness, which is all over the Bible. A couple of Psalms say this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. It is interesting. I didn't do this on purpose. All three of the Psalms I chose to recite are accompanied with goodness and what? Did you hear it? Mercy, right? Goodness and mercy. I think of it this way, that when the Bible speaks of God's glory, it is speaking of his essence, of his being, And when the Bible speaks of the goodness of God, it's something like a manifestation of that glory, right? An experience of that glory. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to show you all of the ways that I am good. You are going to see it. You are going to experience it for yourself and for the people. And that's exactly what we hear. As the story continues in 34, God reveals to Moses again his name. He reveals his law again to Moses. He renews the covenant again. He promises them the land again. In other words, all of the ways that God has been good to the people, he is continually communicating that goodness to Moses again. His goodness is going to pass by Moses. This experience of goodness will pass by Moses. And so it it begs the question from us, when is the last time that we have experienced the goodness of God? I think a lot of times in our life, we get so consumed with the badness of life and the world and our flesh that sometimes it can blind us to the reality that God is good And his tender mercies endure forever. When is the last time that you've experienced God's word afresh in your life as his goodness? When's the last time that you've heard his name and you've experienced his presence in your life? 
or the last time that you've heard of this new covenant that He's made with you through Jesus and it's been renewed. He shows us His goodness every single day. And this morning, we will experience the goodness of God as we hear Him renew this covenant to us once again through Jesus. The goodness of God passed by Moses, but the goodness of God passes by us each and every day. And I pray that we're aware of that goodness. So the first one, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Secondly, he says, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This statement, when we hear God say this to Moses, what it should do is connect our memory back to the very beginning of Moses' life and ministry. Because this is very similar to what God told Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when he first called Moses to go to his people and deliver the Israelites from Egypt. This burning bush experience, which many of us have heard of. Here's what God says to Moses back in Exodus 3. Just listen carefully. He says, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What will I say to them? God said, I am who I am. Say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, and here's the key, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. Exodus 3 was the first time that God revealed himself to Moses by his covenant name, Yahweh. And now, this is how he is revealing himself to Moses right here in Exodus 33 during an incredibly difficult part of this wilderness journey where it seemed like God was going to abandon his people. He hears, Yahweh, my name, Yahweh, will pass before you. My covenant name. Why is that so significant? Because this same covenant God that began with Moses is the same covenant God that's renewing this covenant with Moses right here in this chapter and saying, Moses, I will go with you. I will go with you. I will continue to lead you and the people to the promised land. And Yahweh, he is our covenant God as well, isn't he? He's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. Whose God is he? He's our God. If we're trusting in Jesus Christ, this God, this Lord Yahweh, is our God as well. Our covenant-keeping God. And he proclaims his name to us this morning. So, I will make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name. Third, The Lord says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. I want us to be careful with this verse. Um, A lot of us are are good card-carrying Calvinists in this room and online. I am as well. I will confess that. And a lot of times we love to use this verse, don't we? This is a great verse to defend 
our position on God's sovereignty in our salvation. God will show grace on whom He will show grace, and He'll show mercy on whom He will show mercy. It's not up to us, it's up to Him. While we do get a glimpse of the sovereign grace of God in this verse, we have to remind ourselves that God speaks this in a particular context. And who is He speaking these words to? To the unbelievers out there who have not experienced God's mercy and grace? No. Who's He speaking this to? To His people who have turned away from Him and who have worshipped cows, the golden cow. That's who He's speaking to. In other words, this verse wasn't spoken as a theological mantra for how God deals with an unbelieving world. It was spoken to God's people who had turned from worshiping the one true God to worshiping an image that they had created with their own hands. He is relenting of His anger and He is willing to show grace and mercy to His own people who have turned away from Him when they least deserved it. Beloved, we are prone to wonder as well, are we not? We craft golden calves all the time in our own lives. Our affections are stolen away from the Lord for other things, for other people. We're no different than the Israelites. When it doesn't seem like God is speaking to us for a 40-day period, when our intercessor can't be seen or heard from, our hearts go exactly where the Israelites' hearts go. Right? Our hearts can be consumed with idolatry, consumed with our own golden calves. And yet, what does He do? He continues to show us grace and mercy through Jesus. What are the golden calves that your heart runs to? What are those golden calves that your heart's uh, affection longs for? So we don't want to use this verse just to hold up our theological position. I encourage us to use this verse as a declaration of our covenant God to preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another day in and day out when our hearts wander from the one true God. And we hear him say, I'll still show grace upon whom I will show grace and I'll still show mercy to whom I want to show mercy. And the people that are in Jesus are the ones he longs to show grace and mercy to. And he's showing mercy and grace to the people of Israel right here. And then finally, the final statement, what does he say in verse 19, verse 20, I'm sorry, but you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. As Moses hides in the cleft of that rock, the cleft of that mountain, and God puts his hand over him and passes by, what is it that Moses gets a glimpse of? Only the backside of God. This is just a FaceTime conversation, right? He can't be face-to-face with God in reality, or he would not live. He would only get to experience God partially, not wholly. Did you know, or do you know, let's say do you know, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve saw 
when God created them? What was the first thing that Adam saw when God breathed life into him? He saw the face of God, did he not? The breath of life was breathed into him by Yahweh and his eyes opened and who did he see? He met his creator, his maker, face to face. And Adam and Eve had a face-to-face relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. They were happy. They were holy. They were fully in the presence of God until chapter 3. When they ate the fruit and sin entered the world, and what happened? Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God. And then Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of God out of the Garden. No longer were they able to see God face to face, to be fully in his presence. Now they were banished from his presence. And mankind has, since Genesis 3, been trying to what? Get back to God. They've been trying to get back into communion with God, and it hasn't worked. And even in this glorious passage that we see here, where Moses sees the backside of God... The glory and goodness of God pass by. What do we learn? There's still something that he cannot experience fully. The face of God, the full presence of God, because it would kill him. It would kill him. Now what's happening in this text in Exodus 33 is glorious. We would all say that. It's a glorious scene. Incredible. And yet, what happens in the gospel is even more glorious. So let's think about the gospel for a moment. And I want to think of it in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3. Because he refers to this exact story in 2 Corinthians 3. And he makes the point, and we might see this next week, but this whole episode is so glorious that when Moses goes back to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments again and comes back down the mountain... The people couldn't even look at the face of Moses because it was shining so brightly from the glory of God. That's how glorious this is. And yet, you know what Paul calls this? This exact story taking place in Moses' life, you know what Paul says it is? The ministry of death. The ministry of condemnation. How in the world can something that's so glorious that the people can't even look on the face of Moses be called by the Apostle Paul a ministry of death? Was he just in a bad mood the day that he wrote that? No. It's a ministry of death because this law that's going to come down the mountain from the Lord through Moses cannot save the people from sin. All it can do is show the people their sin. And all it can do is show them their need of a Savior. That's why he calls it a ministry of death, because it can't save. But the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation, or as Paul says, the ministry of righteousness, Paul tells us that it far exceeds the ministry of Moses. In fact, he says that the ministry of Christ is so glorious that it makes Moses' ministry appear as if it had no glory at all. That's what Paul says, that this incredible story that so many of us love where God passes by Moses as he's in the cleft of the rock, Jesus' ministry to us, for us, is so glorious 
that it makes this look like it has no glory at all. That's what Paul says about the gospel. Why? Because Jesus has done what the law could never do. The law kept the people in bondage, but the spirit of the Lord, as Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the law's demands. Ultimate grace and mercy come through the work of Jesus on the cross, setting us free from the law's demands and ushering in this glorious new covenant. So I love the song we've been singing lately. Jesus is what? The true and better Moses. And one day, the scripture promises to all of us, all of us trusting in Jesus, who are clinging to Jesus, you know what he promises? At the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, here's what John writes for us. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what John writes. For those of us clinging to Jesus, he says, His servants will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. The thing that Moses longed for, the thing that all of us long for, will become a reality only because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen? It's a glorious new covenant. That's the covenant we are thankful for. That's the covenant that's renewed before us this morning right here at the table. You know, as we come to communion, this communion table is a pointer to all of the things that we've just heard. Is it not? It shows us a visible, experiential manifestation of the goodness of God right here in the bread and the juice. It's the table of the Lord, our covenant-keeping God that we've talked about. It's a table of grace and mercy for wayward sinners like us. It's a place where we can, by faith, commune spiritually with Jesus. And yet, this table, it's just a foretaste, right? It's just an appetizer to the true wedding supper of the Lamb that you and I will no doubt enjoy in the presence of the Lord. So this morning, we want to come to the table. We want to come to experience His goodness, His mercy, His grace, and feast with Him as our hearts long to see Him face to face. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the ministry of Moses. And yet we understand that the ministry of Jesus is far more glorious than was the ministry of Moses. May this scene with Moses in the cleft of the rock where your goodness and glory pass by him, may it just be a pointer to the reality that we can commune in your presence through your spirit now and to the hope and promise that we have to one day see our Maker and our Savior face to face. God, this morning as we come to your table, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your goodness, with your mercy, with your grace as we commune with you by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.